The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Well, let me ask you, where does God hang out? Or more accurately, where do we act like God hangs out? Okay, when you think about it, well, okay, maybe the church sanctuary. So when you come in the door, because if you were raised in the church and you, your mom had told you, there's certain things you can't do in there because God's in there, right? Um, maybe he's in the foyer a little bit. Maybe he hangs out there a little bit. And, um, or, well, sometimes in the parking lot, certainly by the time we get to the 405 freeway, is God hanging out out there? I don't know, maybe we're in the clear. Sometimes we act like that. Also, what does God know? Does God know just the Bible stuff? Does he sit in there in heaven? You know, it's like, okay, boy, I've read uh, this one for, you know, 80 billionth time. Does he, does he know about things like um, the Internet? Does he know about things that, uh, like that and technology and stuff like that? When he, if they get a new laptop in heaven, does the father say to the son, hey, son, can you come on over here? I can't figure how you get this thing opened up and stuff. like. I want to get on Snapchat and um, uh, help me get up on Instagram because they've got all the great ideas, you know. Does he do that? Or also, do we treat God like um, when we come to him in prayer and we start telling him in prayer, this is how things really ought to be, God. Does he sit there and go, you know, that is such a great idea. It never dawned on me. Thank you for that. Or when we come to him in prayer and when we've made a mistake, we come to him in repentance and we say, Lord, I have to admit, I did this. Does he sit there and go, oh, you didn't? Is he shocked and surprised? Well, today we're going to look at two attributes of God that are going to hopefully speak to our hearts and encourage us. Um, because certain times in our lives, life gets hard. Life gets rough. And we're tempted to think, I'm all alone. Nobody understands me. Nobody understands what I'm going through. So since I must be all alone, no one understands me, I'm just going to do whatever I feel like and handle the situation that way. Well, when I ever get to feelings and have feelings like that, I do what everyone does. I say, what Latin terms can I find to help me be inspired to seek a better life with Christ? Well, just kidding. Today we're going to look at two more attributes of God uh, in our series on uh, the God who is. And today we're going to be looking at um, his omniscience and his omnipotence. So far in this series, we've, learned, uh, we've looked at to see how, we've seen how he is the God who wants to reveal himself. He doesn't want, he is, some of his ways are mysterious, but himself, he wants us to know him. We've learned that he is a God of love. He is a God of deep, deep love for us, so much so that he sent his only begotten son whosoever should believe in him have everlasting life. He loves us. He wants to draw us in to personal relationship. He's also shown us that he is a sovereign God so far. And uh, we've seen how he has a plan that he is working out through all of eternity in the grand scheme of things and also very personally in our lives as well. He is sovereign and he's in control. He's in the authority. Also, he has shown us that he has revealed us. We've seen, he revealed himself to us, excuse me, where he's revealed himself in creation to all of humanity. 
and he's uh, shown us how he's revealed himself through his word, the Bible. We can find out about him there, and we've also found out about him. And ultimately, he sent us his very own son, God the Son, Jesus Christ, to say, this is who God is. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, uh, and so today, we're going to be looking at, like as I said, um, two um, wonderful Latin terms. And uh, help me out with the Latin here. Latin for, let's see, la, um, omni is a Latin word. Omni means what? All. All, that's right. Okay. And so um, science is knowledge. All knowledge. He has all knowledge. All right. And, uh, and the second word, because um, today, yeah, no charge for this one. This is free. You don't have to pay extra for this one. We're talking about his omnipresence. And so omni against all means all, and of course presence, and the Latin word for presentia means, um, can mean attendance, effect, force, power, and presence. And so presence with God is a very, it's one word, but it means a lot. It doesn't mean he's just there, he's really there. We're going to see in uh, Psalm 139 about God's omniscience. Find out what he knows, and we're going to look at where is he and how is he there. And so what we have to look at to help teach us about this is a song written by King David. Now, let's, let's give David a little bit of credentials. Why is David so authorized, and what gives him the, the insight to talk about these things? Well, remember, David, okay, you know, sheep herder, son of David, or excuse me, son of Jesse, and uh, God sent Samuel the prophet out to anoint David as the next king of Israel. Remember, because Saul had radically blown it. God was saying, oh, this was such a great idea. Thank you, everybody, for asking for Saul for being king. So he sends out Samuel the prophet, and he says, I want you to, I'm going to show you who to, I want you to anoint as the next king of Israel. So if you remember from uh, 1 Samuel, uh, Samuel goes out, goes through all of Jesse's boys, and he says, where's, none, no, none of these guys, not, not right. God said, and he says, uh, God leads Samuel to say, where's the, where's the last one? Brings in David from out in the fields, and God says, this is the one. This is my guy. And so when Samuel took out, he had a horn of oil, special oil, and uh, Old Testament way of anointing was a symbol of God's spirit was going to rest on this person. That's with the active oil, not because they needed vitalis to um, get their hair looking nice, remember? But what they did is, so Samuel anointed David. And Scripture says in 1 Samuel 15 that the, God, the Spirit of God didn't just fall on him or just waft onto him. But when Samuel laid his hand on him with the oil, the Spirit of God rushed on David. And it remained on him for the rest of his days. So... As, uh, so when we come to Psalm 139, here we have, we have happy David. We have David with the Spirit of God on him, and God is communicating through David something very important about himself as we look at this. And so as we look at this, we're going to look at um, five different areas in, within this psalm. It is kind of a long one, but I promise you we're not going to be here all day. Um, even though we're going to cover two attributes. We're going to see how God knows my thoughts and actions. We're going to look at how David's understanding of how God is everywhere that I am ever going to be, or you and I are ever going to be. 
he has very intimate knowledge of each one of us because he's there and not only does he know us, he's actively present in our lives. And then we're going to have a decision point. And we'll come to that in, uh, in, as we work through the psalm. And then we're going to take a look at how we feel about those things in our lives that try and draw us out of our personal relationship with Christ. We're going to get David's attitude towards that and maybe some ideas about how we can approach those things as well. And then we're going to look at how David says, how do I keep my relationship unhindered and growing with you, God, moving forward? So we'll look again, we'll look at how God knows my thoughts and intentions. He's everywhere I'm going to be. He's intimately involved with me. He has intimate knowledge of me. Decision point. How I feel about those things that God, or the things that take me out of my relationship with God, and how I keep my relationship unhindered and moving forward with God, growing forward. So, in verse 1, in Psalm 139, David is, you'll, you'll, you'll get a sense of go through this, he is in a really amazing moment. He's in a good spot right now. He's, he's not made any mistakes. He's prayed up. He's feeling good about his relationship with God. And he says, and he kind of admits something that says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So what does... God, no. Well, David embraced the truth that God already knows everything. I'm, I'm exploring this stuff right along with you, and so I looked up to find some, what some real smart people had to say about this, and there's one uh, theologian named Wayne Grudem, and he summed it up by saying this. He said, God fully knows himself and all things actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. Okay, so God fully knows himself. God knows that he is infinite and he is unlimited. And Paul wrote, the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what person knows a man's thoughts except the spirit of the man which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. God knows everything about himself. Meaning that uh, he doesn't have to think about stuff. <laughs> um, he does, he's not going to learn anything about himself. He's not going to say, I didn't know I could do that. Oh, you know, um, um, horses. I didn't know I could do that. You know, it, was, it was never like that. God knows everything altogether. And of course, he, uh, God fully knows himself. Uh, in 1 John 1, 5, the apostle John wrote, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Uh, light, meaning both moral purity and full knowledge or awareness. It means like God's never going to discover anything new about himself, which is kind of amazing because he, he knows himself. That's why, that's why he's so awesome. And God knows all things actual. This means that God knows all things that exist and all things that happen in his creation. And guess what? You and me, we're part of that creation. As created beings, he knows everything about us. 
He knows it from front to back, beginning to end. And so uh, he doesn't have to think about it through. He doesn't have to try to remember like a memory bank. He already knows. So let's look at how David understood this. Um, he wrote, you know, oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. David understood that God every, already knew everything about me, him, everything. From the start of his day, he knew the path that he was going to take. David, God already knows what, how our day is going to go, what we're going to do. He also knows the things that we do. He knows why we do it and why we really did what we just did. He knows that too. He knows what we're thinking. He discerns our thoughts. He knows the good thoughts, the bad thoughts, the weird thoughts, the crazy thoughts. And uh, he already knows them in advance. Uh, and David is blown away by this. And, and since he knows, God knows every decision we're going to make, where our day is going to go, how does that impact our trust in him and where we might be, he might be leading us through our day? And so, but uh, getting back to our, but uh, thinking about our prayer life, you know, he's, uh, David says, uh, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Ever wonder how we can pray silently? God's already there. God already knows it. God hears it. God sees it. Everything with that. Pretty amazing stuff. And then something that else is very interesting that, uh, that really floored David was he said, God, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. God sets limits on our lives. You know, it's like the, the guardrails that I need when I go bowling. I have to put them up. I have no shame. I <laughs> so that's why I never bowl for money. They got, no, but, um, but God, he said, David said, God, you hem me in and you lay your hand upon me. It may not seem like it. But through your life, you've taken some weird, has it, your life ever taken some weird turns, things go sideways, and you wonder what's going on? Well, David knew that God and hems uh, him in, he hems us in. This is true for every individual that's ever been. And so, have you ever had uh, interested, been curious about things like maybe a prayer that didn't get answered? You know, uh, you know, God has a plan. He's got you hemmed in. He's leading you. He's got his hand upon you, guiding and directing your life. You know, it's like uh, the uh, Garth Brooks song. I don't know if any of their country music fans in here, but uh, um, his, uh, I don't know if you remember the song. You could probably finish the phrase. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Thank you. Thank you. All right, and if you're not a Garth Brooks fan, I apologize for that. But, uh, but anyway, but... Uh, so this is what David is aware of, is God's knowledge of him, his presence. God knows, so thoroughly knew David, and he wants to communicate this to us. He still so thoroughly knows us that God is guiding, always guiding, guiding us where we need to go, where he wants us to go. And so we can also take comfort in the fact that we may be, seem like in a place where we're unsure at the moment, but... According to God's knowledge, his will and his plan for our lives, he has us right where he wants us to be. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And he's going to continue 
to lead us. And part of his plan was having you and I in here today to look at Psalm 139 together to discover more about this God who is. And so David is excited about it. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. You know, this is a, this is a mind blower about how God thoroughly knows us and wants to guide us through life. So God knows our thoughts, the real intentions of our hearts, and our every action, and he keeps me in line where he wants me to be out of his knowledge, his omniscience. Now we're going to move on to what God, where God hangs out, his omnipresence. And here's what David was inspired to write by the Holy Spirit in this song. He wrote, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as, is as light with you. Now, David opens this section. He says, where can I go from your spirit? David understood that God is spirit. Um, he's set apart. He's other than. He is from his creation. He can be in his creation, but he's not part of his creation. He is the one being who has the ability to exist in and of himself. He is creator. He is not created. We are created, and we live within his creation. And we are subject to things like dimensions of, well, you know, the x-axis on a graph, the y-axis, you know, how we get two-dimensional. Then we've got the added dimension of the z-axis, you know, that gives us three dimensions. And then the fourth dimension of time, because it's important to know where an object is in relationship to where it was and now it is, where it's going to be. And we worry about these things as part of being a created being and working in his creation. God is present in all of it because God does not have size or spatial dimension and is present at every point of space with his whole being, yet God acts differently in different places. Again, another quote from smart guy named Wayne Grudem. Now, God, because, okay, God is spirit, so he's not limited by space, time, distance, and things like that. If you will, he exists in a different dimension. We don't want to get too far off into, like, dimensions of, like, super string theory and stuff like that, um, where they talk about, you know, how they're, like, possible ten dimensions and all this stuff. They theorize this. But I had uh, hamburgers with a very good physicist who loves the Lord, and he says, don't believe in string theory. It's, uh, it doesn't work. But God kind of exists. God exists in a different dimension. He doesn't, he can be present everywhere because he's not made of stuff like his creation is. So he is spirit. And he is present everywhere in every part of his creation with his whole being. This is his immensity. That's what we call his immensity. Um, he is there in every point of his creation with his sovereignty, his power, his authority, his grace, his peace, his mercy, his love. And the Bible teaches that in, he is there 
God is present everywhere within his creation, but he doesn't act the same way in every part of his creation. In some parts of his creation, God is present, fully present, but he's there to sustain. He will sustain life, keep things moving and things like that, and it's his authority and his power, in effect, right there, that will keep things moving. We might call this, uh, like, the area of common grace. You know, but a lot of us, if we don't yet know the Lord, he's keeping us alive. We get air, water. Um, he gives us a smart brain to make it through life. He gives us opportunities to make money, have families, things like that, and, and things like that. Just sustaining life. In other parts of his creation, as we'll get into in, in this, God is there to punish. It's the place where his wrath is poured out. And where, where does God pour out his wrath? Now, in the place of the dead for those who are unrepentant of sin. Okay, God is there. He is present in hell, yes, but he's there. He's not there to bless. He's not there to sustain. He's there to mete out punishment on those who have rejected him. But thirdly, God is present in some places to bless. And in the life of the believer, God is present in your life. Scripture says he's there to bless. Scripture says he is there to bless and we'll look more into that. Because God says of himself in Jeremiah, in case you're wondering if he's ever, where, if he, is he wherever you are, he says of himself in Jeremiah 23, verses 23 to 34, he says, am I a God at hand? The Lord, he said, let's back that up. Am I a God at hand, the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? David was aware of the fact that God was present wherever he was. He says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I free from your presence? flee from your presence? Whether it's the highest heights of existence, as we'll see as he says, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. Or if I make my... Play my bed in the place of the dead, Shoal, you are there. God's presence is there. And God, said, and God says, God lets us know that he is going to be with us wherever we are, the heights of existence to the depths of existence. David says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the earth, even, though, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Even we, we can't ever outrun God. You know the classic story of Jonah in the Bible. He tried to outrun God. How successful was he? No, he got a nice trip home back over to Nineveh, um, courtesy of um, whale or big fish cruise lines. And so, but, and even so, but even for us, wherever we may go, wherever we may be, at any time, we may be in the weirdest of places that we never expect to be, but... God is there. God is present with us. There, He's there to bless us. And so, uh, no matter where we are, Yosemite, Antarctica, inner city, God is there with his immensity. It's, so it's like this morning, we're here in, uh, we, we're enjoying God's fullness, his presence, his immensity, his blessing. And he's the same where believers are enjoying him, say, in Paris, France, Iraq. Egypt, 
underground churches in China. God is there. And so we're never going to be on a place on this planet or in his creation. We could be on the first manned mission to Mars. God's going to be there with his fullness and his immensity for us. So is it, does it make sense then if God knows everything about us, he knows, and he's everywhere we're going to be, is it, how fruitful and effective is it to run from him or hide from him, do you think? What, uh, what, what do you think the outcome is going to be? Because he's always going to be there. He's always going to know. Um, Herman Bavink, uh, in the, his book, The Doctrine of God, offers a real practical application of God's omnipresence. He wrote, okay, in regards to when we want to do something against God's plan, uh, sin, okay? He says, when you wish to do something evil, you retire from the public into your house where no enemy may see you. From those places of your house which are open and visible to the eyes of men, you remove yourself into your room. Even in your room, you fear some witness from another quarter. If you retire into your heart, there you meditate. He is more inward than your heart. Wherever, therefore, you shall have fled, there he is. From yourself, whither will you flee? But since there is one more inward than even than yourself, there is no place where you may flee from God angry, but to God reconciled. There is no place at all whither you may flee. Will you flee from him? Bavink writes, concludes, flee unto him. So everywhere we might be, we know that God is there. So we know that God knows everything, including about us deeply, his omniscience. He's present everywhere we may be or ever go, his omnipresence. And the fact now God has intimate knowledge of me, this is his active presence. He knows me because he made me. And David writes, and this is a, this is a powerful few verses of, of scripture that are used by people who really want everyone to understand the value of individual life. And you can see David appreciates this as well. He writes in verse 13 of Psalm 139, he writes, For you formed my inward parts. Of course, talking about God. God, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. God's knowledge of David, God's knowledge of you and me goes back even before our births, actually, right? And at the moment of our conception... At that moment, a soul was created. A life was created. God was there. God was there. His hand was intimately involved. And this is true for every human being that has ever walked the planet. And David understands that even from while he was in the mother's womb, when, and there's a lot of metaphors in here for basically the womb from when he was being born. He said, he said, wonderful are your works, 
Such works include, he knew who created the writer and every other human being. And David was overwhelmed by the power and the wonder of a developing child. He said, you're, uh, he said, we're made in secret and in the depths of the earth. Again, these are all metaphors for the womb. And so David was keen, keenly aware that he himself was a precious work of God. And, um, and I just wanted to take a sidestep for just a moment here. If you've ever been concerned about, you know, each one of us is a precious work of God, what about the precious works that don't quite make it, either for some reason. They don't make it into uh, life as we know it. They don't get to grow up and face math tests, pay taxes, um, drive the 405 freeway. What happens to them? What about those wonderful works of God that we don't get to see or spend time with? And, uh, and what about, you know, what, if, what about babies that don't make it? Uh, do they go to heaven? And I did a cool, quick research on these wonderful works of God that don't make it. And the majority, I found the majority of Reformed writers over the last 400 years since John Calvin contend that all these wonderful works of God that were created go straight to heaven. They're taken to heaven by God's grace. In John MacArthur's book, uh, Safe in the Arms of God, John MacArthur encourages us that the salvation of every person is a matter, of course, of God's grace. Not man's works is not an easy thing to think of, uh, babies as sinners, but it's true. The good news is that babies who die are saved, and there are, they are saved by the same means that anyone is saved, God's grace. And then another great Reformed writer, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he wrote, I believe that the Lord Jesus, who said of such belong the kingdom of heaven, doth daily and constantly receive into his loving arms those tender ones who are only shown and then snatched away to heaven. Every human life is precious. Your human life is precious. God treats every life as precious. And so God has a plan for every baby, every precious creation and work that's ever been created. So now we have the God who is, who knows everything. He's everywhere we're going to be. And even when we're being formed, well, oh, let me back up for a second to touch on something about uh, one of the, 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 in addition to the precious works, about the days, he writes in here, before every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them, God knew about them. So God knows all the days of your life. And so he is going to be with you and because he's planned out your days. He knows what your days are going to be. You are being held by the, and led by a God who loves you, who has a definite plan for your life, even though sometimes it might seem scary and, and uncertain. He knows about those days, and he's leading you through them with his grace and his love and his tenderness, and he's calling out to you, hey, be with me as we go through these days. And then David looks at this, and he continues in verse 17. He says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Well, what do you think may have happened to this part? You know, we've all done, hey, you wonder about, oh, things aren't going so well, I'm going to count my blessings. So you start counting your blessings. Well, maybe, God, Adam, maybe David here, he's counting his blessings, thinking about his, God's thoughts towards him gets absolutely amazed. 
and he's blown away by it, he passes out. And so he says, I awake, and I'm still with you. So we can surmise, I don't know, maybe he passed out and woke back up again to finish the psalm, who knows. But he was definitely aware that even if he passes out, God's still going to be there. God doesn't fall asleep, even though uh, David may have been. But uh, anyway, so um, uh, we've talked about God's knowledge of us. He's everywhere we're going to be, and he has intimate knowledge of us, and he continues to be involved in our lives with um, intimate awareness of what's happening in our days as we move through life. And so now we come to a decision point. How do we respond to this God who knows everything, is everywhere we're going to be, is intimately involved, sustaining us, keeping us alive? What is our response? For those who say yes to God, we respond with devotion. For those who are kind of freaked out by this, they put up a hand to God and say, no thanks. Well, for those who have entered into the new dimension of this existence called um, you know, life in the spirit, or um, they re receive Christ, this is an exciting prospect. But uh, maybe those who hear the good news and don't take God up on his offer, um, they, or who have, may have dis dismissed God until now, we're still in the same condition. We're still under the gaze and the presence of this almighty God. But uh, what uh, keeps every human being from, God knows us, but for us to truly know God and have fellowship with him, what keeps us out from that? It's our sinful nature. And so, because God can be present to sustain us, but if we have a life that rejects God, that turns a cold shoulder to God, God will remain present in our lives, but he'll be there to sustain, but he won't be there to bless. But God wants us to have a personal relationship with him. So he gave us a solution. He gave us an answer, it was, and it is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible says that each one of us, even when we were fearfully, wonderfully made new creations, we were conceived in sin, meaning that because of the mistake made by our first parents, Adam and Eve, that plunged the whole of humanity into an inescapable condition of a sinful heart and mind that rejects God, that says, I will choose for myself what is right and wrong, and it just automatically rejects God and puts ourselves on the throne. The Bible says towards God, we've got a heart of stone that rejects God. Well, we've been talking about this God who is, who's present. He's ever present. He knows us so well. Have you ever ignored somebody who was in the same room with you, hoping that they wouldn't bother you, that they'd maybe just go away? Please make them go away just so just that I don't have to deal with them because I've got my desires, my plans in my life, but I, oh, you just ignore them? Or have you ever felt ignored? Well, we all do this to God, or have done this to God. I've done this to God. But now, that's what every human being is in that position. And that's what the Bible calls sin. It's this belief, it's this thing where we reject God, we don't believe him, we don't trust him, don't want him. And so that is the condition every human being is born with. 
And that is what uh, the Bible calls the curse of sin, of course. And it was all from that bad choice that you know, we all didn't make, but we all have to deal with that issue. And so now we've got this God who is, who loves us, who sent his only begotten son. And Jesus said um, that uh, if uh, we would consider the fact that here's what God's standard is, and we've all, kind of, we've all broken it. He said, uh, Jesus said, the greatest commandment is we need to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor all ourselves. Love our neighbor as ourselves. And if we've ever done that perfectly all the time, then we're fine. But if we've ever missed in any of those areas, that's coming up short of what God's commandment is for perfection. And that is sin. And so they want, God sent his son to deal with that issue on our behalf. And so the only solution that uh, God the Father had, and he worked this out through eternity past, he talk about this, talked about this in Ezekiel chapter 11, and also Ezekiel chapter 36, God said, particularly in Ezekiel 36, 25, he said, for all of us who were born with a heart of stone that we couldn't do anything about, with this sinful heart that rejects God and can't receive his blessing, God said, I will bring the solution, and he writes, he told through the prophet Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean and, fall, and clean you from all of your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, that I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved and we can have this new heart that God was talking about. God sent his only begotten son and if you will believe that Jesus Christ is God's son, that he came and lived a perfect life fulfilling all of God's commands for right living and for uh, holiness, and that God was totally pleased with him, and that God placed the total penalty for your sin, my sin, on Jesus at the cross, and God judged, because God is a God of justice, he had to judge sin and take care of it, he couldn't overlook it, that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sins in, and in your place, and to show that God's justice that had been totally fulfilled by his sacrificial death on the cross that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that now on that third day, and of course that was testified to by his friends and eyewitnesses, uh, several hundred eyewitnesses who saw him, that he did rise from the dead. And if you'll, today if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can know personally the God who is, who knows you so intimately, and you can have this personal relationship, you can have this closeness that your heart's been wanting and so that you, now that you're fully known, you can fully know God too as well. And so this is what, uh, this is what um, David was looking forward to in Psalm 39. It's this life of the believer. It's this person who has now moved into this added dimension of knowing that God knows us fully. He's everywhere we're going to be. And now through Jesus Christ, we can know him. The barrier from our, uh, our heart's been changed. We have a new heart that says now, hey God, I love you. 
I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to know your word. I want to I be with you. And we enter into a new dimensional relationship with God. And he, God says, like you remember earlier we said, am I not a, I'm a God that's close. I'm not a God far off. It's that now that when we want to be in God's presence, we don't have to go anywhere. We don't have to travel to any far off city. We don't have to wait in line at any place to be in God's presence to talk to him. Now through Jesus Christ, we are so close because God is present. He is here. We can have that personal relationship. And that's uh, our hope for everyone here is that you be in that tight relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so now we live that out. We have desires now with that new heart to live in daily, moment-by-moment communion with him. And we do that through prayer, of course, reading the word, worshiping, um, being together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and serving him, serving God out of love and thankfulness. And of course, this is not going to be just for this life. It's going to be this life and the next. Okay, so now that we have this relationship with the God who knows everything, is everywhere we're going to be, and he knows us intimately, every aspect of our, our being. As a child of God, knowing God, you know, um, David starts off the psalm where he said, you have searched me and you have known me. Nothing he could do about it. It was like, nothing I could do about that. It's awesome, nothing I could do about it. But now, now that I know you, God, now that I will have this personal relationship with you, now that I can pray, I can talk to you, you talk to me. We have this wonderful communion that you've, that you've wanted since eternity past. Adam and Eve blew it, but Jesus Christ came and he fixed that. And now through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be in this fellowship. You know, it's me, it's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit in me and you in the same relationship together now. And everywhere we're going to be, God is there. He knows that we can know him. And it's this wonderful relationship but it's like that dimension of we are saved and holy. We're headed towards this wonderful future in heaven, but we're still here, right? We're still here, and there are forces, the flesh, the world, the enemy, that want to draw us out of that relationship. And so, so now... We get this radical change. Did you notice that as we were reading the scripture earlier? And let's read it again. We kind of move into a, you know, a weird spot because here David was so excited about this God who knew him and he loved him and everything like that. Now he starts, and when he's talking about love and being known and all this stuff, he starts, he changes and says, oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. Not our typical response. But he said, O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Well, David, from his perspective, he's the king of a theocracy. All right, The kingdom of Israel was a theocracy. The theocracy is ruled by, hey, God is the one who's in control. He calls the shots. We do everything for him. He was surrounded, I'm sure, and by uh, advisors and certainly by surrounding kingdoms that didn't, certainly didn't like God's people and they didn't like God because they had their own gods and so they were out all the time trying to undermine the uh, faith of Israel. You know, 
they come in, they say, oh, you know, do business with us, and hey, here's our God that you should worship as we do business with you. And so the Israelites are going, oh, wow. So we can have this money, we can do this business with you, and, and we'll take this God thing with you too. And so, okay, well, hmm, okay, all right, well, let's do that. And so they got led astray. And, um, but David, his attitude was, mm-mm, no. He had... He said he, he comes back with a very fierce hatred of these people that want to draw us away from our relationship with God. In um, Psalm 94, um, the writer of Psalm 94 knows that God is a righteous judge and he will deal with those that don't want God's love and fellowship and those things that try and draw us away from his relation, our relationship with him. And in Psalm 94, verses 7, verses 9 and 12, um, the psalmist writes, and they say, this is talking about the people who don't want God. They, they're trying to undermine the faith of Israel and also the things that are trying to undermine our own faith in God. And this is what they say. And see if you can see in our current society if they do the same things to you and to you and me. They say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Verses 8 and 12, it says, Understand, O dullest of the people, Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does not he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. So there are influences out there, ideologies. We're bombarded by them all the time. Say, God's not real, God's a myth. He's just something made up because you need some kind of crutch to make it through your day. It's not real. But it's the same spirit. It's the same attitudes trying to do the same thing. Draw you away from your faith and your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we're not called upon to hate people like David. David gets in and says, don't I hate, I hate those guys. Well, Jesus says, love your enemies. We're not supposed to hate people. But how do we treat those ideologies those things in our life that speak against God. Do we toy with them? Are we entertained by them? Do we have fun with them? And then we say, oh. But then we say, okay, okay, it's time to do God time. But um, we try to shove them to a side, but they really do kind of influence us. They move us away from a devoted life to Christ. And, uh, and so what uh, David wants for us in this scripture, what he's saying in, uh, in Psalm 139, verses 19 through 22, he says, He's telling people, don't be like the ignorant despisers of God. And so, remember that things will be sneaky about that stuff. They will be, but they are easy to spot, the things that draw us away from our relationship with God. These things that, uh, that are these, what David called men of blood. Um, those who, um, uh, who rise up against God. And, uh, because we have this God of love who's drawing us in, um, John the Apostle, in his uh, uh, in, in 1 John 2.16, looks at what are these men of blood that try and go after us, that try and undermine our relationship and our closeness with God. He says in 1 John 2.16, these are temptations. We don't face men of blood, but we do face temptations. And John says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, 
is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So one of these, what are these uh, men of blood that, some, that attack all of us? And these are things that uh, every believer in Christ, whether you're seven years old or 107, we have to be on the watch out for these things. These men of blood, they're trying to draw us out of our relationship and pull us away from God. The desires of the flesh. My feelings. Things that play to my feelings and making me want to do just what feels good to me at the moment. The lust of the eyes. The things that I want from the world. Salary. Stuff. Shiny things. Do these things draw you away from your relationship and your love and your desire for God and knowing him intimately? Watch out. It's a men of blood. These things can, want, they want to derail you in your relationship with God who knows you so intimately and knows you so well and wants you to know him. Watch out for these things, the Apostle John writes out. And of course, the third thing in this, he talks about the pride of life. The pride of life can draw us away from our relationship with God very easily. You know what that is. Pride is when we say, I want people to recognize my worth. I want people to see how important I am. I want people to respect me. I want people to see my worth. Hey, I want them to see my worthship. I want people to worship me. That's what pride is, the pride of life. Apostle John says, watch out for that. Who are we supposed to worship? Jesus Christ, God. He's going to take care of all the things that we want or need, and he has a plan for all the things for our life because he knows us so well. He knows us, like we said at the beginning, he knows our thoughts and the intentions of our heart. He knows what our triggers are. He knows what temptations we fall easily prey to. And uh, he, since he has intimate knowledge of how each one of us works, and now we can have a reason to be, a, to really to hate. And actually, you know how uh, we hear a lot about the idea of killing sin, kill these men of blood, metaphorically, okay, that pull us away, the sins that we want to do, that kill sin or sin will kill you. Be on the watch out for those things, those men of blood that are trying to draw you away from your relationship with God. Now, to keep our fellowship with God pure and growing with the God who is, like we said at the beginning a, minute, a bit ago, David said at the beginning, God, you've searched me and known me. Now, because of David's relationship with God, our relationship with God, well, he's drawn us into it. He says, now, he said, you have searched me. Now he says, search me and known me. And so, uh, he, David writes at the at Psalm t at verse twenty three. He writes, "Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting." Here, David is engaging in a life practice that's going to see him through, and it's true for all of us. It's now he's saying, "Search me and know me." Now, Dave, what's David really saying? David is saying, "Show me." God, show me. What are these areas in my life? What areas do I give in to these men of blood, these sins, these temptations that derail my faith, my relationship with you? Show me. Show me what these wicked ways are within me and 
so that I can, you and I together, since you know me, have intimate knowledge with me, we can work on them together. And we can, and you can deal with them, and that's part of the repenting process that goes on through life. So as we each keep growing in Christ, this is a process that we'll always be going through. And this is, uh, it's, it's really what the, you know, the, uh, the contemplated life. Don't miss this in your, I'd encourage you, in your daily devotions, when you read scripture and things like that, and you bring that up, say, okay, God, what do I do that's right, that agrees with this, your plan, or what do I do that disagrees with this plan for my life? And then work through that process because you are in the presence of the God who knows you and loves you, and you can work through all these processes and these, these things, these, what a lot of times people call, maybe it's, maybe it's um, things like besetting sins. Things like, ah, I keep doing the same mistake over and over again, and then we come to God and say, I'm sorry, you know, I don't know, and, uh, but then you go back and you do it rightly again. But here David is saying, search me and know me. God, let's you and I examine why I do this. You know me so well. What are my triggers? What temptations are the ones I so easily fall through, pray to? And God wants to help us with each one of these things, and so he's saying, show me so I don't fall into that trap again. And so this is an ongoing practice that David calls us to, search me and know me, God. And then he says, so that you can lead me in the way everlasting. Because if we go through life and we don't ever deal with these, these, those snares that always pull us into sin, it's, you know, like in the cartoons, they have uh, uh, Warner Brothers cartoons, they have, you know, they show the bull with the gold ring in his nose. Okay, all right. And, you know, they actually did that with bulls. Do you think they did that because they were particularly interested in bovine fashion accessories? I mean, seriously, well, you know that bull, he's so handsome, he needs a nose ring. No, he, it's no because with that nose ring, they could latch onto it, lead him wherever he wanted to go. And the life that is controlled by the men of blood, sin, temptation, those three, the lust of the, uh, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, that's just going to, you're always going to be led down and dragged down by those things. Just like that bull with the hook, with the ring in his nose, wherever he wants to go. God doesn't want that for us. Because he knows us and he loves us and he wants us to know him. David says, talks about, God doesn't pull us around by the nose. Like sin does, like temptation, the men of blood do. How God leads us is by his hand, his loving hand, his gracious hand. He leads us through life. And so now David says, God, that's what I want. I don't want to be pulled down by the sins and temptations. I want to work with you closely to identify the areas where I get tripped up. Let's deal with them, get done with them, and move on, because I want to move on to a closer level with you. So, and finally, um, I just want to conclude with this. So we've looked at, looked at how the God, who is omniscient, knows everything. He's omnipresent everywhere we're going to be, has intimate knowledge of us. And now because we have this relationship with him, we can and we, because we're with him every moment, every day, he knows where our triggers are, our temptations are, and now we can go to him and get rid of those temptations, those triggers. We can deal with those triggers. We can spot them now because God's presence and power are with us there to help us deal with that. I just want to, I just want to conclude with this. Uh, for a lot of years, I was blessed to work as a radio producer uh, for Christian radio programs. And, uh, and I have to give credit for this because I didn't come up with this, but uh, I had the privilege of working um, to launch a new radio program at the time from this. He was this Presbyterian pastor and author. He founded this ministry back in Pennsylvania called Ligonier Ministries, and his name was Dr. R.C. Sproul. And uh, 
uh, I had the privilege of help launching his new radio program. And one of the first subjects we covered was this idea of living your Christian life quorum Deo. Okay, we'll give you one extra Latin term for free, okay? And R.C. Sproul said the concept of living quorum Deo is, he said this phrase literally refers to something that takes place in the presence of or before the face of God. To live quorum Deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. So we are fully known by the God who is. Anywhere we go, we don't have to be the smartest, the brightest, the most powerful, the most awesomest, talented, wherever in the room, because God is already in the room. We love him, we trust him, our lives are open to him. So we can love him and we can love other people in the same way that God wants us, God loves us, we can love them. And because he is always the best person in the room, we can trust him and to guide him, guide us through our lives. And so if you've welcomed him into your heart, he's also welcomed you into this internal glorious fellowship with him, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So my encouragement would be, why not live every day, quorum Deo, in the presence of the God who is? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for David's uh, psalm, the song that he sang to us about your, your presence, your knowledge of us, your intimate knowledge of us, and your desire to help us grow, to overcome uh, the sins in our lives, to recognize them, and that you are intimately working with us to help us overcome them so we can draw closer to you and live a life that's more holy and pleasing to you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your gentleness that you are always here, and Lord, you are always waiting for us. You're always calling to us that you are calling us to come to you in the immediacy of our hearts and minds that we can reach out to you in prayer wherever we are. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who through faith in him we are brought near, and we can know you because you know us so well. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.